This is the Austin Connection Podcast. Thank you for being here. This is a special edition of the Austin Connection Podcast taped live at the Australian gathering of AustinCon earlier this month. AustinCon is an annual event put on by Sharmini Kumar and 24 Karat Productions from Abbotsford Convent in Melbourne. And also it's live streamed online. It was really fun to take part in this year's AustinCon with my friend, author Devney Lozer, to talk about her new book, Sister Novelists, about the Regency sister novelists, Jane and Mariah Porter, who paved the way for Jane Austen and the Brontes. So without further delay, Let's go right into AustinCon in Melbourne, Australia, where AustinCon director Sharmini Kumar introduced Devney and me and the conversation. Enjoy. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, we're about to hear from a couple of people. We're going to be talking about the Porter Sisters. And the Porter Sisters, if you've never heard of them, that is partly the point. Um, we're going to hear from the woman who very literally wrote the book on the subject, uh, Devani Loza, who is a professor of English at Arizona State University and is the author of 10 books, including Sister Novelist, The Trailblazing Porter Sisters, which i got to tell you is a cracking read. It reads like a really bonkers novel. Uh, a really bonkers, yeah, Austen novel, really. Um, and it's, it's, it is just, a yeah. I'm plugging it. I'm plugging it. I'm officially plugging it, but you're going to hear more about it in a bit. Um, she's also the author of another favourite book of mine about um, Jane Austen called The, um, the Making of Jane. Um, and she does the, the uh, Daily, Daily Jane Austen, which is a year of Austen quotes if you don't have enough Austen in your life. Um, she's published essays in The Atlantic, The New York Times, Salon, Slate, TLS, uh, Entertainment Weekly and The Washington Post and she has a series of 24 30-minute lectures on Austin which is available through The Great Courses. Uh, what you might not know about Devaney is she's an avid skater who plays roller derby under the name Stone Cold Jane Austen. <laughs> so welcome Devaney. Joining Devaney is Janet Saidi. Hello. Um, who is the host of the podcast, The Austin Connection. And she's also a public radio pr producer, talk show host, and assistant professor at the Missouri School of Journalism. Um, and she's also written and produced stories for NPR, PBS, the BBC, the Los Angeles Times, the Christian Science Monitor. Um, and she's, done, she's worked on audio projects such as You Don't Say, Missouri on Mike, and a podcast called Cover Story. Um, and she's, you've, lived in, you've lived in England for a while, but you're currently in Missouri, yes. is that right? That's right, from London to Missouri. <laughs> right, and so I think it's the evening in America at the moment, is that right? Yeah, beautiful. That's right, it's happy hour. Oh, excellent. Well, uh, <laughs> feel free to join them for a drink. Um, uh, and they are going to talk about uh, some Regency women novelists who are not Jane Austen, but do, do inter their lives kind of just have these fascinating intersections and parallels. So I'm going to let them take over and we'll come back for questions at the end. Thank you so much, Sharmini. Hello, everyone. We are so excited to be here, Devani and me. And thank you all for being here. Um, we are not only talking about Porter Sisters, but you can see my giant mic here because we are actually going to tape with all of you a taping of the Austin Connection podcast. So thanks for being here with us for this discussion and this taping of the podcast. So hello from Missouri, from me. I'm Janet Saidi with the Austin Connection podcast. Over to you, Devaney. 
Hello from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, actually, is where I am today from me. I'm Devani Lozer, and I'm just so thrilled to, to be here with the Austin Connection at Austin Con, right? <laughs> this is amazing. It's almost like we planned that. So our topic today is Regency Women Writers Breaking Rules. And specifically, like Charmini said, we are talking about the Porter sisters, Jane and Mariah Porter. They were prolific novelists in the Regency era. Their biographies really bring to life so many of the aspects that we all love of the Regency and Jane Austen. They were living it. In some ways, they were living the extreme version of the Regency. And so Devaney and I, are I've got a lot of questions for Devaney, and we're going to unpack what's going on with this novel. By the way, it's sister novelists, as Charmini said, the trailblazing Porter sisters who paved the way for Austen and the Bronte. So we're going to talk about how they did that. Um, let's jump right in because I have to say, like Charmini, I have really devoured this book. I'm a little biased because I love Devney Lozer, but uh, this is a, a amazing novel that is unput downable, and I have I have not asked Devney any of these questions, so uh, I cannot wait to dive into some of these questions. So first of all, Devney, congratulations on this amazing book and all of the write ups and attention that it's getting, which was the goal to bring attention to these Porter sisters. Thank you, Janet. And again, I, I know that you meant to say nonfiction, but it reads like a novel, but it's actually a biography. So it's nonfiction. And I, <laughs> I'm so sorry if I said novel. <laughs> no, it's, it, it, it's, that's an honor that you would think that it reads like a novel among a, an audience of people who love novels. This is the highest of all praise. Uh, so I, I just feel so thrilled to be able to get a chance to talk about this project. It's been a labor of love for about 20 years on and off. I've been working on this. And to have it come to fruition like this and to have people excited to read it just means so much. Well, so. and thank you for clarifying that, Devity. It is a biography. <laughs> it's a double biography. I apologize in advance. I, I might call it a novel again because it really does read like a novel. It's true. Um, but let me say, so the Porter sisters wrote more than two dozen books, right? They wrote 26 works between them um, and sold more than a million copies during the time that Austin was reading everything and writing. Um, why don't we definitely know about the Porter sisters? This is a great question. And I think there are so many ways that a person could answer it. But one of the answers is that we've forgotten a lot of women writers from this era. So you could say in a way the Porter sisters were especially wronged. And I hope to explain a little bit why as we talk together. But there were others who were wrong, too. And the session that we heard earlier today talking about circulating libraries and the kinds of authors you might find there will give you some sense about who we might have forgotten and who we might better remember. But the Porters got especially wronged because they were household names. And I think one of the reasons they were forgotten is because they ended up being classed as children's literature by the late 19th century. But I do have one slide I wanna show, Janet, that I think will kind of blow people's minds. And it's a title page from the uh, circa 1890, so the late 19th century. And it's for Jane Porter's most famous novel, The Scottish Chiefs, which was originally published in 1810. But this was an edition that came out in the late 19th century. And you can see there, I tried to blow up under her name. It says, by Jane Porter, author of Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility, et cetera, et cetera. So some printer somewhere made a mistake. Uh, but the upshot is that they sold copies before realizing that they had mixed up the two Janes. 
So there was this period where Jane Austen's fame was rising and Jane Porter's fame was falling, gradually falling. And I think to me, this title page is like that moment where the two of them are still known at the same degree that they might be confused for each other, uh, which I think is kind of amazing. But the Porter sisters, as you said, they published 26 books separately and together. And the, the ways that they got forgotten are just, uh, just crazy. Well, let's come back to that because I want to ask you a little bit about the literary vampirism going on with why we don't remember them. But first, there, there's a reason why this biography <laughs> keeps getting called a novel by me, which is the, the setting of the book. The setting is absolutely staggering. Um, and you've mentioned, Devani, in, in an interview that I read somewhere, that they are like a funhouse mirror. So these are two sisters, but they also have a Byronic, handsome brother, older brother, these three siblings. He's an artist. They are constantly creating. They're writing. They're hanging out with artists. It's like the cast of Sanditon in the middle, I mean, the PBS version, um, in the middle of London. And uh, can you just explain the setting and why they, their lives are sort of like an extreme version in a way of Austin's life? The question about setting is really interesting. Uh, the, the Porter sisters, and I've talked about, you mentioned the line Funhouse Mirror. I've talked about them as having Funhouse Mirror <laughs> versions of both Jane Austen's life. And I think of some of Jane Austen's characters lives. And the, the confluences among these three are fascinating. I bring out some of them into the book, and I could say more about that. But Jane Porter was born two weeks before Jane Austen. So they were exact contemporaries. I don't think they ever crossed paths, except for possibly, as I talk about in Sister Novelists, in Bath in 1804, possibly but no proof. <laughs> we know they were in the same wow. place at the same time then. Uh, but there, there are ways that the Porter sisters and Jane Austen have a lot in common. The Porter sisters had it a lot harder economically than Austen did, and the biography certainly talks about that. And as your question asks and, and points out, they also ended up a lot earlier around a famous set of people in London, and that obviously shaped and changed their lives. And I don't know what you want to talk about next, Janet, but I could say so much about that. <laughs> oh my gosh, I want to talk about it all. So let me just pick up from something that you said that all of us, because we're all Austin fans here, might be really fascinating fascinated by, um, which is that their, their lives in so many particular ways do mirror Austin's characters. And let me just throw out two, and you can just riff off this. They are in this London house with these three siblings. I mean, they moved around, but in, for a big part of this biography, <laughs> they're, they're in London. And they, they actually staged theatricals. So there's these young creative types stage, staging theatricals. I can't remember if that's in the London phase. But then another like really obvious way that they're like Austen's characters is you think of Sense and Sensibility. Two sisters, um, one's really passionate um, and maybe coming from the heart. One is more sensible and having to come from the head. That's a gross oversimplification of everyone, <laughs> including Marianne and Eleanor. But um, there's sense and, sensibility and sense and sensibility and then just the profound neglect by these brothers. So now we've got um, John Dashwood in there, um, just very ne neglectful of these sisters. They were literally writing for their lives. They struggled their entire lives putting out these novels. So you said that they might have crossed paths in Bath. Is it possible Austin knew about this set of young creatives and the things they were getting up to? 
she obviously uh, knew about the Porter's novels. And there's one reference to Anna Maria Porter's 1804 novel, Lake of the Lake of Killarney in Jane Austen's letters. She talks about her nephew, Edward, twisting about in one of the great chairs while he's reading the Lake of Killarney. So we know Austen knew of these works, but not proof that she read them. She definitely would have known the circle that the Porters were a part of. And that's because the Porters by the early 1800s were hanging out with some of the most famous actors in the entire country. They were hanging out with the famous Kemble yes. acting family. So Mrs. Siddons, Sarah Siddons, uh, John Philip Kemble, but also they were close to Charles Kemble, the youngest brother. And so there's a chapter about Jane Porter's feelings for Charles Kemble and how that rolls out in a very dramatic love triangle-y way. So there's, there's a lot going on with their theatrical circle. But both Jane Porter and Mariah Porter ended up writing for the stage at one period of their lives or another. And so I, I think that there are really interesting things that we could say too about Austin's love of the theater and the Porter's really close personal connections to the theatrical world in this period. So we titled this talk, Regency Writers Breaking Rules. And in what ways do you feel that Mariah and Jane Porter were breaking the rules? And how did that impact their life? You just mentioned some of the people they were interacting with. And one was Mary Robinson, who was, uh, you know, sort of a famous um, loose woman. That's a terrible way of putting it. But uh, she she was also a, a really creative, brilliant woman as well. Um, but how, how are their interactions and their rule breaking inter impacting their lives? Yeah, first of all, when we talk about the sisters breaking the rules, here are two more portraits of them. And Jane Porter does not in that garb look like someone who's breaking rules, does she? <laughs> there she thinks she looks like she might be a nun, right, in that particular slide. Um, she's actually dressed as a lady canoness. It was an order she was um, sort of honored, voted into, brought into this order. And that's the garb of the order that she's dressed herself in. But she was not a nun. She was, however, as you pointed out a moment ago, very much more like the Eleanor Dashwood in comparison to her sister, who was more like the Marianne Dashwood. And I do compare the two of them in the book to the Dashwood sisters. Jane was a sort of tall, dark, serious, authoritative sister. And Mariah was more like the light, bright, and sparkling, flirtatious, outgoing, emoting sister. Uh, so the two of them loved each other dearly and deeply, and they absolutely were living lives that were polite on the surface. No one would have said that the two of them were, um, were wanton women, loose women, uh, like Mary Robinson. I want to come back to her in, the minute, in a minute. But they absolutely were co um, consorting with women who did not have great public reputations. And that had a shine, you know, that was a problem for their own reputations. It, who you associated with made a big difference. Uh, I wanna take a look at the next slide too, Janet, because you, you mentioned their brother, Robert. And so Robert Kerr Porter is in the middle here and he was a famous painter and a later travel writer. So he's the one who brought them into a lot of these theatrical circles and writers and actresses circles. But we're gonna really rush through our slides, Janet, because we're gonna look through this last, okay, now we're at Mary Robinson. Uh, and you asked about- They're great. She yeah. is she is there, uh, the, the one in color as she deserves to be. She's in full color, right? <laughs> There's a terrific biography of her <laughs> by Paula Byrne that I 
I highly recommend people checking out if they want to know more about Mary Robinson. But the reason this is important, and there's a chapter about this in the book, Jane and Mariah felt very caught between two female mentors. The one in the center there, Mrs. Um, de Crespigny, or I think in the British pronunciation it would be de Crepney, is how it would be said, <laughs> and Mary Robinson next to her, the two of them were at war. And one was the polite version of a literary woman, and the other, Mary Robinson, a for former royal mistress, an early feminist, uh, a, an actress, really important figure in her day, was a big fan of the Porter sisters and an important mentor to them, but they were having an incredibly difficult time navigating these two warring mentors, one who represented politeness and one who represented breaking all the rules. And they loved them both. They especially loved Mary Robinson, honestly. <laughs> It's, it's fascinating for the, this cast of characters to be waltzing through their lives as you read this biography. And one thing that also makes the biography such an adventure is the two, two most fascinating aspects of their lives in some ways are that the, they're extremes in that they're struggling so much. And we can get to this uh, later as well, but there's so much math as there is in Jane Austen in this biography. Um, and in this story, because the debts are piling up and you outline the numbers for us and it's fascinating and they're writing for their lives. They are truly writing to survive. But then at the same time, they're famous. So we are living on the inside when we're reading this biography. We're reading on the inside um, of this these famous sisters. So everywhere, when they go out, they're stared at and there's so much pressure. People are pulling at them and trying to get at them. Um, and you, you really learned something about celebrity um, in this. W would you talk, Devani, about what it was like writing this and encountering these two amazing aspects? They're struggling and they're famous. Absolutely. A really important question. And yeah, I think it's important to start by telling the audience that the sisters were born and uh, their father died almost immediately. So their mother was a widow without any resources. He died with very little money under difficult circumstances. And she had five children under the age of eight. So their earliest years were really hard scrabble. And their only education was charity school in Edinburgh. And it was lucky that the, this very progressive, interesting charity school took the two girls, as well as their brother Robert, into this interesting experimental school. After that, they just found that they were in love with reading and writing, and they became each other's editors and cheerleaders. And, uh, you know, they, they grew their literary ambitions together, I would say. So it wasn't, however, until Mariah was age 14 that she first published. And she made the very important decision to publish, or her family made the very important decision along with her, that she would publish her first book of stories, Artless Tales, under her own name. And this is around the time Austen's writing her juvenilia, which is also really interesting to me, that we know Austen would have been writing these stories, yet knowing that there were these teenage girls publishing their work under their own names. I mean, it's kind of amazing. Austen, of course, didn't publish hers, but she would have known that there were these girls, these teenagers who were. So that is where they started into the public eye. And by the time they were in their early 20s, both of them who'd published a variety of things, some under their own names, some not, both of them came into the public eye and from there became famous. And then the celebrity was with them for the rest of their lives. So basically from their 20s to the end of their lives, 
they were um, they were well known. They were public public women and celebrity women, and especially Jane by the Victorian period would have been a kind of a, a literary lioness, uh, right? Just, they called the the celebrities literary lions. So she was a literary lion. She's the kind of person you would have gone into public and pointed at and tried to touch and tried to get a word with at these big soirees. It's so fascinating. And let me just do a podcasty thing here and say that if you're just joining us here at AustinCon, we are talking about sister novelists, the trailblazing Porter sisters who paved the way for Austin and the Brontes by Daphne Lozier. And I'm Janet with the Austin Connection here at AustinCon taping a podcast of the Austin Connection podcast with, no, with uh, did I say novelist? <laughs> <laughs> with author Devney Lozer. Uh, okay, so I've got a few more questions and audience members who are there um, or with us, however you're with us, save your questions, save your questions and comments because I know Devney really wants to hear from you. Uh, what are your questions about this? Um, and what would you like to know more of about this 20 year research uh, task that Devaney took on, which is a whole story in itself. Uh, so we will we will open it up for questions here in about nine or ten minutes. Okay, one thing I just have to say though, Devaney, is that reading this about the struggle and the celebrity, the the Porter sisters fall in love repeatedly um, with really interesting people, and you know, reading this biography turns you into Mrs. Bennett, and here's how because you watch them fall in love with creative, poor, brilliant, young people, just like themselves. And you basically just want them to find someone who has 10,000 pounds a year and marry them because you know how hard it is for them to live their lives without any money. It's, it's a huge struggle. They are actually doing a revolving bedroom at one point, And they are, again, famous, prolific, writers they are revolving bedrooms so that they can take turns getting a fire it gets very bad at the end of their lives and it's hard to read that because you care about the porter sisters by the time you're there i, I don't want to give that's i don't think that's too much of a spoiler <laughs> we know that they struggle their entire lives and you'll you can still enjoy this biography but did you find yourself just wanting them to find a mr darcy find someone and be practical and settle down with this person so again, spoiler, that's not a spoiler. Neither sister ever married. So I think they were each other's most important, significant life partner throughout their lives. But of course, when you read them falling in love hard for the wrong men, <laughs> it is it is really emotionally difficult and torturing, I think, sometimes. It was for me reading their letters, which is where I got this information. They left behind thousands of unpublished letters that are just so beautiful and often record entire conversations and dialogue. It's like being a fly on the wall in Regency England, listening them describe to each other the things that they've overheard and gone through. But these men that they chose were often not, uh, not great catches, as Janet, as your question points out. I do think, however, I'm not sure that I was wishing they would marry the man with 10,000 pounds because I really admired that they were so non-mercenary about this. Each sister had an opportunity, or in some case, multiple opportunities, or things that they could have gone after. And uh, you know, as Mrs. Dashwood would say, my daughters were not raised to catch husbands, right? So the Porter sisters were not raised to catch husbands. Their very plain-spoken, uneducated mother 
did not push them in this direction. She encouraged them to get an education and to grow. But it is really hard watching them fall for these handsome rakes and think that they can reform them. This happens several times, as I describe in, uh, in detail, that still kind of brings a tear to my eye sometimes, I have to be honest. Wow. And, you know, I'm totally with you. It, it is, I was also full of admiration reading. They're, they're definitely people who are consciously, stubbornly choosing love. They are not going to compromise. Um, and so I'm being a little, I'm exaggerating a little bit when I say that we, we become Mrs. Bennett because we, we do love it that they love love, you know. Um, and, but also, you know, there's a fascinating character in this, um, Henry Cal Caulfield, mm -hmm. who is a, not only a famous actor, but a famous skater. I mean, this is really begging to be a Netflix series. Um, but he, they, I, I think yes, this yes. could be a little bit of a spoiler, <laughs> but definitely, oh my gosh, it so needs to be. And uh, I, I, I really feel like that. And it's just incredible that these are real characters. It is like obviously hard for me to remember this. Like this is a biography and these are real people, but Henry Caulfield, just everything about him. And definitely is, you know, just a reminder, like using archival materials, <laughs> you know, to, to it's the, it's the sisters' own descriptions of Henry, and the, Henry Caulfield is someone that they know very well. He's an act, he's an actor. He's a famous actor. He does Shakespeare. He's brilliant, um, and he he runs out of money, and it goes. It's really tragic for him, and they stick by him really to the end. And it's just such a beautiful story. Uh, do you want to say anything about Henry Caulfield? Is he one of your Thank favorites you as well? He was really hard to track down. He was very, it was very hard. And partly it's because in the sisters' letters, they referred to their bow in code. So they would say Apollo and Agamemnon. And, you know, at first when I started reading these letters, like I had no idea what they were talking about. Like, was there really a guy they knew called Apollo? <laughs> but they they were trying to keep, keep these uh keep these stories from their prying brother's eyes or from their mother's eyes or from anybody who might come across these letters. So it took some time for me to figure out the puzzles of who these people were. But the, Jane's love for Henry was lifelong. And it, it is, uh, it's a tragic, it's a tragic love. It's not a happy love, <laughs> but I think it's a really important story. It involves uh, Krim Khan, it involves imprisonment, it involves a, a debt, it involves a lot of things that Jane really got her hands dirty trying to solve behind the scenes. It's fascinating. And you mentioned that you had to decode these letters, which really makes you think about Anne Lister writing in Yorkshire during the Regency in, in serious code about her lesbian relationship and relationships. Um, so that's a fascinating aspect, which which leads me to, Devney, you also describe at the beginning of this book how you encounter the story, your story of encountering these Regency women novelists through their letters. Can you talk about that? It really just kind of gives me chills because it was about 20 years ago. You had young boys uh, you were nursing, you said at the time, so it was hard to even spend time in a library, even though you had great support. But um, you come across this letter. Can you talk about the feeling of that and what just what made you want to, you didn't know it would be 20 years, but what made you want to pursue these women and who they were and tell their story? So as Janet mentions, the book opens with this letter that I was reading from Anna Maria to Jane, and it's from 1821. And it 
tells the story of this dinner party with just gluttonous people and ridiculous characters and just sort of uh, Mariah eviscerates them. And she says, I wish uh, that the late Miss Austin's pen, uh, you know, alas, that she's gone. I wish that she were still around to record the whole company. And as I came across it, I thought, wow, well, they were already in 1821 loving Jane Austen's fiction. So that is cool. But also I thought, you know, Mariah didn't need to wish for Miss Austen's pen because these letters, the more I read them, found them to be snarky, hilarious. Uh, you know, they were moving, gripping. Uh, Jane Austen's correspondence isn't necessarily the part of her writing we love best. But for me with the Porter sisters, their fiction is very important. But what I love best are their letters. Their letters are just these raw, confessional, um, moving, storytelling documents that were obviously a training ground for their fiction writing, but that were also just really important records of life, especially life for women and literary women in this day. All right. We promised a tale of a literary vampire Yes. Uh, and there is a literary vampire in this tale. You, you, th I'm taking from your <laughs> title here, Daphne. By the way, the titles in every chapter are fantastic. So if you just oh. kind of get a copy of this novel, look through the titles. It's, a, it's, it's amazing. It's not a novel, Janet. Um, <laughs> did I say novel again? <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> I, I maybe I'm just determined to make it a novel. Um, anyway, our literary vampire is Sir Walter Scott. Uh, sorry, Scott fans, but uh, he's getting a little bit of a comeuppance in this biography. It is true. Um, can you talk a little bit about how the Wa Waverly novels impacted the Porter sisters and how they're remembered or not? So Jane Porter published her first work of historical fiction, Thaddeus of Warsaw, in 1803. I already mentioned the Scottish Chiefs from 1810. Sir Walter Scott's Waverly was published in 1814, and it's often been credited with being the first historical novel, or maybe the first modern historical novel, if you know things about the history of the novel, where it starts as a question mark. But Jane Porter was already being credited with having created a new species of writing before Scott came along. And he was, at that point, not publishing under his own name. He was uh, anonymously publishing as what would become the great unknown. But he became so successful and published so many more novels on his own and so many copies of novels. And they were so well-regarded and best-selling that they outpaced even the Porters and finally just took all the air out of the room. And the Porters kind of saw this happening. So in the 18-teens, they were very upset that Walter Scott had never said publicly, thank you to the Porter sisters for uh, inspiring my historical poems, which had worked a similar method, or later, when they understood that the Waverly novels were by him, that he hadn't said thank you for inspiring Waverly. And the reason this is especially upsetting to them, that he hadn't publicly acknowledged their inspiration, is because they had all known each other as children. And so I think it felt especially upsetting that this friend of their youth, who had credited Mariah Edgeworth and Anna Vicar Grant and a few others in his preface to Waverly, postscript to Waverly, he did not, not thank the porters and he never publicly thanked the porters. And so vampirism, theft, uh, stealing, these are words that they use in their own letters to each other to describe what they see men doing with their method in poetry and prose. And it, finally, they took it to the public and the book tells that story too. Didn't go well. <laughs> 
It's all fascinating, and I'm looking at the clock, and we're we're just at about 30 minutes in. So, it, I have more questions, but it would be great at this point to open up to any questions that your audience um, there has, Sharmini, or any questions that you have, Sharmini, and we can keep going. Sure. Uh, all right. Well, I will start by opening opening it up to the floor. Does anyone have any questions to ask Devani or uh, Janet? Everyone's feeling a little bit shy. That's fine. We can work with it. Um, I will ask a question, which is one of the things that struck me on reading the novel slash biography, the novel, the, the, the biography that reads like a novel, is how many things these Porter sisters did that we just don't think women ever did at the time. Like, I mean, writing would be one thing, but like, uh, you know, sneaking around and spending time with these men unchaperoned without completely being thrown out into the, into the street. And um, the way that they were sort of active in trying to manage uh, finances and things for, you know, the, 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 the men that they loved and, and that kind of thing. Um, can you just talk a little bit about what, what the, the, the some of the gender stuff, the gender politics that they were up against, but that also they pushed back against and maybe wasn't quite the same as what we think of um, of the time? Does the question Thank you, Shami. Such a great question. Love it. And, you know, one of, the, one of the anecdotes I'll tell, and it's telling it from the surface, <laughs> is there's a letter where Anna Mariah describes um, and Jane are talking about one of the men they know who's in a lot of trouble. And Jane says, isn't it amazing that all of these women who are behind the scenes in his life are trying to solve this problem for him, this problem that the world thinks that women don't even dare look at. And so they knew, they understood that they were not supposed to notice or be involved or be trying to manage these problems of, of finances, debt problems, sexual problems, adultery problems. I mean, they were they were trying to manage all of these problems for these men behind the scenes and knowing that if they were caught, it would be devastating to their their public reputations. But it's all the things we think of from Austin's novels that polite women weren't supposed to be doing. Like we know Lydia Bennett and what she does. <laughs> but these were women who were polite and chaste, and were still taking all of these risks to try to help people they loved, even if it meant doing so at penalty of their reputations. This is one of my favorite aspects of women writers and 19th century women writers, as, as you know, Daphne, because we've talked about this before, but um, it's just the fact that not only they're struggling so much, but also it's humiliating. There are so many humiliations that they're going through. For instance, to me, one that really captures it is the way you describe their publisher, their longtime publisher, who has been quite loyal to them and quite generous with them, ends up getting their brothers, who their talented, <laughs> famous brother, but who, who is in debt, and they start, their publisher starts having to handle his debts. And as you mentioned, like that, that was, would have been so devastating to their reputation because they're struggling and they're struggling in the public eye and just trying to maintain this balance. And I, I just think, you know, in times like these, it's really inspiring to realize that um, a lot of our writers, and including Jane Austen, did struggle. And, and Louisa May Alcott is a great one as well, riding away to make money. Um, and it's okay. It's okay to have to do things to make money and to 
suffer humiliations. Like, it, it happens among even geniuses. Right. And that brother Robert that we've mentioned several times, the famous artist who became a writer, Jane also edited all of his books. She rewrote parts of them for sure. And he was paid much more, much more than his sisters were. So you just see all these things that were unfair and built into the system. And then unbelievably, and this is why people start to think it sounds like a novel, Robert married a Russian princess. And this is also something that is, uh, is described in the biography. All of the ways that uh, the, the chapter that's devoted to her is called Horror Princess. And I, I truly hope you'll get to read why she gets called a horror. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. I mean, that's, that's an entire season three when the Netflix series comes out. Um, yeah, the other the other thing I was thinking about too was the travelling alone that they did, that they would, uh, you know, take stagecoaches alone, unchaperoned, that kind of thing. Uh, and that sort of horrific little incident where one of them almost is almost like kidnapped by this man that she's supposed to be nursing back to health. It's kind of, um, you sort of see the vulnerability, um, but also the kind of uh, resourcefulness that they use in, in dealing with kind of the rubbish that gets thrown at them. Yeah, Charmini, I thought you were gonna bring up a different example, which if you don't mind, I do wanna bring up because it's just a brief moment in the movie. But we think of Catherine Morland in Northanger Abbey being sent off on her own, right? From, from the Abbey home by General Tilney. And, you know, this is a, a certain kind of punishment that he's giving her and we're, she's shatterbrained, but she's able to find her way home. And it's, it's seen as a rude thing that he's done, but also putting her in harm's way, right? We think of women traveling on stagecoaches with companions or chaperones. Jane Austen certainly seems to have had that herself in her own life. But the porters, because they were poor and wanted to travel and take up these invitations to see friends, often traveled on stagecoaches alone, even from an early point. And so Jane Porter traveled even on an overnight stagecoach herself. And there's a section where I describe that she looks across from her and these two people who'd been kind of um, making eyes at each other all day start in the cover of night to make love right next to her in this tiny stagecoach. And she talks at length in this letter describing it about whether she should scream or what should she do in this situation. And she decides ultimately to focus on the chaste moon. <laughs> and she imagines herself as a new kind of novel heroine, not kidnapped like in the Gothic novels, but sort of um, kept prisoner by circumstance into watching this immoral behavior. I mean, imagine how small that carriage was. And I mean, it is kind of incredible. So that is also a kind of danger that a woman alone in a stagecoach could have faced. Yeah, and I appreciate too, Daphne, that you don't sort of sugarcoat a lot of the stuff that you describe, um, that behaviours that they endured that we would describe as assault now that um, mm -hmm. people would mm -hmm. uh, touch them or kiss them without their consent or, you know, yeah, things do things in front of them that they did not consent to to witness. It's the the the, and I think one of the things that, that often gets missed when people talk about particularly women at the time is the way that class and wealth play into what was a sort of allowed or um, acceptable or uh, a blind eye was turned. 
Can I follow up on that a little bit, Charmini? One one detail there too. There's mm -hmm. a letter where Jane Porter is saying, "We know, we know, because we learned from our mother and our family that the world might tell you watch out for a red coat because a, a soldier could mean you harm." But she she says, "We know from our family that." even the people wearing brown jackets and uh, even basically she's saying even teachers and uh, clergymen can have a, can be sexual threats. And that is what she's describing. She's saying you need to watch out for men of all types, not just for supposedly uh, Randy officers. So how do you see class, uh, I've not read anything by the Porter sisters, how do you see class come into the work that they were producing? So in uh, their fiction um, often centers on male heroes. There are some where there's an exception, but the most famous of their fiction centers on these male protagonists. And often they are well-born and then find themselves in poverty and then things work out in the end, right? So it's a little bit more Dickensian that way. But clearly their experience of poverty themselves and their knowing debt and knowing struggle informed how they wrote about these characters, even the ones that they made high-born. So I think they had a very clear sense of what economic struggle meant, but most of the stories around a hero had him uh, discovering or being returned to a happy ending of wealth or comfort. And it's not a happy ending that either one of them ended up finding. That's this edition of the Austin Connection. This edition was taped at Austin Con, the annual gathering of scholars and creators around the work of Jane Austen. It took place at Abbotsford Convent in Melbourne, Australia, and we were thrilled to participate in this year's Austin Con with author and friend Devney Lozer, talking with us about sister novelists. You can check it out at devneylozer.com. And as always, you can find us at Austin Connection at substack.com. There you can see pictures of the Porter sisters and all of those images that Devney Lozer referred to in our conversation. And you can also find all of the episodes of the Austin Connection podcast, the community and the newsletter of the Austin Connection, which looks at Jane Austen and her stories from many, 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 many angles. That's austinconnection.substack.com. See you next time.